Hey, welcome to the Road and Rail podcast. Did you ever feel like screaming out in the office on Zoom or outside the school gate? For the love of God, come on, really? And if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rona Morrell. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but with a fun and unique British style. With sarcasm, tenacity, or maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how. Through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or Towie with the lipo and drama, and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally get in the confidence to shout, come on really. So enjoy. Hey Jay, welcome to the Rain and Rail podcast. How are you? Hey, how you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm relaxed and um, excited to be talking to you. <laughs> you might not say that in 40 minutes. Uh, well, listen, for everyone out there, I am delighted to have um, Jay on the podcast. Jay and I first met a couple of years ago at, um, I think it was a restaurant in Knightsbridge. Um, but we're also both members of, of Homegrown. And I was just really impressed with um, what Jay's been up to. So I'm going to try and do some justice here in terms of an intro. Um, yeah. But Jay is a presenter, um, multidisciplinary artist, um, creative director, and also you have numerous degrees in communications, uh, music and culture. Um, Mm -hmm. You've been at the forefront of marketing for a very long time. I won't give your age away, um, but it's certainly in UX design, immersive tech and heading up um, creative events in MySpace. You've also chaired a think tank uh, on the future of tech and marketing um, for Visit Britain and the Mayor of London. Amidst all of that, you also have consorted for various fashion brands to name drop a few Dior, Louis Vuitton, Puma, etc. And you're also a founder of the 360 Communications um, Agency and the Soho Project. You, at the core of everything that you do is around the changing narrative around kind of the African and black culture. And I know that you um, paternally, you have deep history from Nigeria and your, your grandfather was the Sir, late Sir Egbert Udo Adomo. Yep, yep. Um, and that runs on both your mother and father's side. So that undoubtedly has a nature nurture effect and impact in, in what you do. I know that you're also spearheading a new production company, um, like you're not busy enough, um, yep. in charge with changing the narrative around um, BAME lives. And that's backed by Netflix, Terra Firma Capital Partners um, and others. So congratulations. And you're also the chief investor in an emerging online Pan-African online Amazon style retailer. Um, and you also have a consultancy business. I mean, Christ, I don't know how you do all of that, but welcome. And I am um, you know, thrilled to have you here. I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I think, I think the, the key element to understand is I'm one of those people that is, I wouldn't say I subscribe to, but I'm definitely a product of the concept that the devil makes work for idle thumbs. So <laughs> I find, and also I find I do way more work when I'm really busy than when I'm not busy. Yeah. So more cases, give me, give me loads of, and, and I think there's a saying that if you want to find, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person. It's weird, isn't it? Because people have always said to me, like, how do you juggle so many plates? And I always think that 
when I meet people that they juggle way more than I do. And I think, how can one human do that? But but you're right. The more you've got, the more you are able to spin. And and, and I, I I do understand, though, that you might never be the best at that thing. But I think that we're coming out of, I, I think it's also, I mean, there's, okay, I'm going to dive into something quickly. Go. So there's a whole theory around the age of human beings and the age of kids. So dependent on the amount of information we were able to take in as kids and what technology was around at that point of time, mm. different generations of people are able to multitask. In, and I wouldn't say multitask, but to actually be more things later on down the line than earlier down the line. So you'll find that people that were born in the 60s and 70s can probably do two things, two jobs. And and that can be part of their identity. Mm. And people before that mostly would see themselves as a thing. So if I was like a musician, I could be a teacher, but I'm still a musician. I see myself as a musician. Those are the older generations. So you'll find that now when you get to the point of and there's, there's a whole theory around the age of children. They're called like diamond kids. And you've got like purple kids. And you've got different um, elements that represent different generations. And I won't go into that. But you'll find that the closer you get to what we'd call Generation Z now, yeah. the more things that they see themselves as because they were exposed to more things earlier on. Yeah. So I'm probably part of that generation of the people that feel like we were told that we could do anything as children mm. and so we didn't curtail ourselves to what we could be and I think I definitely subscribe to that and it, it's, it's also as a creative I feel it's one of the main things I struggle with because when you study cr- creative subjects at a high level yeah everyone's trying to force you into a specific box so you're and so when you then get to onto a commercial space where people are trying to sell your work yeah. They then say, well, what are you? Are you this or are you that? And you'll find that the people that are trying to sell you are normally from a different generation because they're the people that are, you know, they've got galleries. And, I mean, yeah. well, that's changing now, but traditionally, you wouldn't be a 15-year-old with like a gallery in Mainstream. So, you know, there's a 16-year-old guy who's like, I, I, I've got your art. It's really good. I want to sell it. What is it? Is it A, music? Is it A, B, sort of fine art? Is it C, sculpture? Yeah. If it fits into those, it's they know boxes. how to sell it because it's a commodity at that point, not an artistic representation or a expression of who you are. Yeah. So the artist really, and it's one of the things I found as an artist, that's why I call myself a multidisciplinary artist because I've done things, I've written music with really some really big names. Yeah. I've been a TV presenter, I've helped produce films. I'm, I mean, I'm currently, hopefully, fingers crossed um producing a new tv show and and it's like okay and there's a part of me that feels nearly guilty in a way because i feel like if you're a talented musician why are you out there taking up a filmmaker's job because there's a filmmaker and they can't but more and more what i'm seeing in the generations below us is they don't care yeah, um, because that fear factor is removed, isn't it? It's yeah. like, actually, the more you're exposed to, the, yeah. the less likely you the are. Less suppose... likely exactly. And, and the other thing as well is that creative fields and art generally, the newer versions of them, 
will be a combination of all the old ones. Mm. So, I mean, it's the one thing I'm, I've written this thing anyone who's listening, if anyone's listening, that um, knows me very well knows that I always use this phrase all the time, which is Gazamkin's work. And that is a term that became popular when Wagner himself was, even though he was a controversial figure, mm. in his day, he was thinking about what is the end form of what art could be? Because he also felt that as a musician, there was more that he wanted to do, but it couldn't be sort of explained in music. Yeah. And the only way to do that was to put all the art forms together at the time, you know, dance, um, singing, theatre, and music together as opera. That was the cinema of its day. Mm. So in that way, if you could create something that everybody could experience on on a level platform, no matter who they are, whether they're the king or whatever, That is the ultimate form of art. And obviously, as we've developed television and film, then you get people that can intersect all of that. And so they're like, oh, I can be a photographer, videographer, a director, whatever. But the newer generation have got computer games. And the computer game is the film, it's the cartoon, it's the music, it's the graphic design, it's the photography, it's the motion yeah. capture, it's the coding. So they they intersect. So they are literally like, you only do that. I just coded a little like, <laughs> like you know, I've got, I mean, you've got six year olds telling you, oh yeah, well, I coded a mini game today. What is it? Oh, it's basically got a robot and he runs around and he chases a chicken. I'm like, when did you do that? Oh, yeah, this morning before breakfast. <laughs> and so at that point, you have to say, okay, fine, you know what? And, and I've always been in, in, intrigued by that. And it's mm. amazing to watch them. It That's doesn't. I mean, I've I've got children, so actually, I do always wonder when when I kind of took the decision to go out on my own, what mm-hmm. influence would that have on them as young girls growing up, rather than seeing, you know, you talk about generations ago where you just saw your mother or father in a role for 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. And <clears throat> I'm sure, you know, if, if anyone asked my husband or my kids, you know, what does what does Rona do? What does your mummy do? And they're like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, because because there is that multifaceted kind of approach. But I love that because for me, I feel like a child again every time I take on a new discipline. Mm -hmm. It reminds me that we can continue to learn and explore and develop. This is true. This is true. And I I think that there's there's an element of that that also is part of being, I suppose, humble and and I wouldn't say, oh, I don't use the word childlike, but, but mm. being open and saying, you know what, it's not about, in fact, the word I'd, I'd, the word sort of sum it up would be, if you were to ask someone, who are they? There's, I'd say there's different types of people. Some people will say, I am, insert a name here, and I am a, and insert job title here. Mm. And I feel like that is not who you are. That is just a thing you do. Yeah. And so when people say, what does your insert um, relationship person to you do? It's like, well, they do all kinds of things. And, it, and, and having one thing above other things actually means that in a way you're trying to say that their job is more the most valuable thing they do. Whereas if someone is my mother, I say if someone, I definitely have a mother. And um, yes, she does. She, she trained in accounting. She, trained in accounting and you know finance 
Yeah. But she's also been a horticulturalist. She's also been a um, interior designer. She's, but at the same time, she's also been a mother. She's also been a caregiver. She's also yeah. been a cleaner, although we had cleaners as well. But she's also been a cleaner. Yeah. She's also been the person that used to sew my labels onto my school unit. I mean, so it's like saying, what are they? You can't answer oh, it. Yeah, I mean, what? So yeah, so saying, what are they? It's like saying, you know, there's, there's, there's too many things to say. So I say, that's why I do so many things because I feel like that's, that's who I am. Yeah, I'm someone that loves loads of things, and I love them passionately. I, I love history. I love technology. I love the concept of a dystopian future. Which a lot of people don't. But I really, I it, it's. Well, talk to me a bit more about that then. Tell me a bit more about that. I think that I spent a lot of my formative years watching 80 sci-fi stuff. And so all that, you know, especially things that my parents, I mean, I love my parents, but we basically were allowed to watch whatever we wanted. So having watched things like Blade Runner, Hellraiser, and those kind of things, I mean, I love Star Trek. I love, you know, and, and there's always an element of, it doesn't matter how utopian, whatever the future is painted, at mm. some point in whatever show or TV or story you're watching, the dystopian nature of it comes out. So to me, it's like, it's like my dream. Obviously, so, we don't want that, but. Well, yeah, no, because that's yeah. interesting. Because I, I think back to my early days watching the likes of Star Trek and things like that. And that's a world that fascinated me. But as I've grown older, and I look at the reality of potentially that coming true, mm-hmm. that freaks me out a little bit, because I'm like... Maybe you're a bit of a Luddite, Ooh. or a technophobe, even though you don't know you are. Yeah, maybe. Because, yeah. I mean, like, for me, I can't... In that, like, when people say... There's times when you have conversations with your friends, and then they'll say, like, oh, but then you're going to be able to do this. And I'm like, isn't that the most amazing thing in the world? Like, in... Everyone's concerned about people putting microchips in your head. And I'm like, if someone could create a biotechnological interface, that would make my absolute life. That's the point that I've been waiting for. I've literally spent my whole life waiting for this point. And it's happened during my lifetime. It's unreal. And, you know, things like now we've got quantum computing is... I couldn't... If if you'd told me this, like, 20 years ago... You wouldn't believe it. I was just starting to code in C plus and people were still using Dreamweaver to make websites. And I wasn't, I hadn't even left school. I was still at school. And you said to me, at some point, you're going to be able to have a computer that could process at a speed where you could actually start doing complex equations that could solve universal equations. Yeah. I'd be like, shut up. That's right. That's where I need to be. It's not even that shut up. It's like, I know it's technically, obviously, you know, Moore's law and so on and so forth. It will happen, but that you'll see in your lifetime, now, this is the best time. It's the best and the worst time to be alive. I think that, you know what, you've hit the nail on the head. For me, it's kind of like, I lo- I've worked in innovation for many years and I love the what if, taking it to that absolute max of impossible thoughts. And I'm mm-hmm. always telling that to my children. But as someone who has this kind of mother earth, sustainable balance and wish, it's like, I just see a, a major juxtapose between the two of like, I want that in terms of technology and medical care and 
you know, exploring space and what it could mean for us. But equally, I just don't want it at the detriment of. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make a statement mm. that could bring those two together. Nature is just technology we don't understand yet. Like it, yes. So it's not a case of like, because as we get further down this, you know, as we get further into technological determinism, we're finding out more fundamental things about nature itself. Mm. And so at some point there is a sweet spot where the laws of physics and well, I suppose Einsteinian physics, Newtonian physics, and then what else is there underneath that gets understood. And then we're able to start redressing that balance. Obviously, I've got a very biased point of view. So, but yeah. the reality is that, you know, we're trying to make supercomputers. The human brain is one of the best supercomputers to ever be made. So yeah. it's like, once we can understand how to do that, then we'll probably be a lot better off in terms of doing things like, I don't know, new um, global warming issues with fossil fuels, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. If, if we knew more, we'd probably be better at it. But unfortunately, the problem we have is that, well, I'm, being gen I'm generalizing is that as a human race, we, we suffer from hubris. And so we're amazed by, the, by our own intelligence, but we're just not that intelligent. <laughs> this is true. So we're like, we can fix it, but it's like, we don't even know what the problem is in the first place. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and as we go further down the line, we find that out. We say, oh, right, you know, I mean, you've got to remember, not too long ago, global cooling was an issue. Yeah. And then it was like global warming. And then there was a thing about CFCs. And then it was like ozone. The ozone is going to, and it's just every time we think, oh, we found out the problem. It's like, no, actually, no, you were just like further down the line. And so I, I feel like it's, it's a about time we could, we could get a computer to crunch more numbers so we yes. can start telling us the answers. No, absolutely. And touching on what you were talking about earlier about the kind of the younger generation and that kind of change and drive. I've got a question for you, actually. Oh, go for it. Do you, how old are your children? My children are 11 and 7. So your 7-year-old, does your 7-year-old play Minecraft? Absolutely, and she codes. So you, this is the most amazing thing you should do. Where, in fact, so she'd be right. So when she was younger, did she play Roblox? Yes, and still so does now. That is even better. So if you watch a child who's about four to five play Roblox yeah. and what they do, and that's when you get to understand why we find it hard to understand how children consume, especially this, this generation, consume media and content. Because... And I suppose, in a way, I, I had the same thing with Grand Theft Auto. There's certain people, you give them a game and they'll play the game. Yeah. They all go, all right, it's a mission, I do the mission. Roblox isn't like that. Minecraft isn't like that. So you literally see their pure creativity come to life on the screen. And they, they don't think in the way their concept of reality isn't restricted by yeah. the way we see the world. So we're like, I'm going to build a stairway like this because that's how it is in the real world. Whereas a child would be like, I don't need the stairway, I can fly. And yeah. you're like, you can't fly. Like, yeah, I can, I just press up. And you're like, yes. Yeah. So they're like, okay, so let's not have no stairs. Let's just have a floor here, a floor here, and a floor here. I can fly. Let's make, it, let's make it an upside down pyramid. Why? Because there's no physics in the game. So therefore, why not? And, and it's when you get to that kind of thinking, yeah. I feel like we'll start understanding more things about the universe. 
you're absolutely right and that's one of the things that I love about the the kind of the whole flipping things on its head and taking something that you believe to be impossible and going yeah but just forget that for a minute mm-hmm. what if what if you just flipped it around what what could happen and I think that whole thing around um content I think is really interesting because how we're consuming it where it's going in the future um you know we're kind of looking at now what content needs to have at its forefold. I mean, you work in music, you do luxury brands. What's your vision of the future for where brands and content need to go? I think there's, I think you have to go step back first and it's to understand what, what everything is right now. I mean, and we are at an age where we are coming to understand that the whole world is built on communication. It doesn't matter what form it is mm. or what it is. It's just communication. So even if, and to sort of break that down, communication is someone sending a signal to another person and the other person receiving that signal. The other yeah. person might not receive it in the same way the person sent it, but they've received the signal. That's all that matters. So yeah. even technology itself is a form. We are literally doing this as a part of this podcast. This computer is sending a signal down a wire and it's coming to your computer and you're seeing that signal even before we're talking so yeah. literally by us having two computers that are connected together via the internet we are communicating and so when you now extrapolate that into a larger format and to understand that children i mean children grow up in a way where things are more intuitive now you know mm. for example if a three-year-old using an ipad they can use it why because they just use it they don't think what do i need to do on it they just use it yeah and they, they and as a result of them using it, they get better at using it. So by the time they're six, they're better at using the iPad than me who read the manual. Yeah. Because yeah. they just do, it's, it's intuitive. It's not a learned process. And I think that understanding that and understanding the way people consume things, but also why they consume them is key. Yeah. Um, if you look at it from a luxury brand point of view, most luxury brands are still trying to crack the, how do you, communicate a product that's a thing that has value Mm. over a medium where you can't touch the thing and what they're forgetting is that there are still ways to use that to communicate your product and also communicate your message without doing the thing itself because reality you're not selling a thing because if you are selling a thing i'll give you an example I could go to where Hermes make their bags. I get that bag and bring it back without the Hermes logo and I'll sell it to you, but you wouldn't buy it for 35,000 pounds. Yeah. It's the exact same bag. One is in an Hermes shop and the other one is in my backpack. I, maybe I could give it to you. Maybe I could get you to buy it for like a few hundred quid because I've got, look, it's made in Italy, it's leather, some accounts, so on and so forth. So you're like, okay, there's inherent value in the thing, but that's not 35,000 pounds. So the difference in value is the experience and the actual feeling and the emotion that it causes. Mm. That's what you're selling. So you're selling communication as a brand. No matter what, no matter what anyone says, all you're selling is an actual message. So if that's the case, you can still send that thing down the internet, that message, the bit in between, the bit yeah. between the hundred, let's say two hundred fifty pounds and thirty-five thousand pounds. That bit, I can communicate that to you. I can yeah. create a world that you can exist in. I can have a, I don't know, 
an Instagram that shows all the different types of cows that I have to go and frequent to get the right specific cow and that the difficulty of that process and all the tanning process and, and how it's a real skill to be able to do that, how long it takes to, to mm. learn the process. I can tell you about, you know, the, the, the understand, to make, get you to understand the history of dyeing and how we weren't able to produce certain colors. Certain colors like blues and greens were very difficult. So we had to mix certain colors and it's not until recently that we found certain beetles and certain places that are able to get yeah. that vibrant color. Then, you're saying, actually, you know what? A lot goes into this bag. You know, it's, it's, it's not just, you know. <laughs> I'm sold. I'll, I'll yeah, take yeah, on $35,000. In that case, maybe it's worth the $35,000. I'm like, no, not just there. I then have to transport it to some random island somewhere in Capri. And there's a little atelier and can only make five a year because it's just an old man with his own hands. And, you know, and everything is hand-stitched. And this is not just, he's been doing this since... He's 12. And so it's years and years. At that point, you say, you know what? That brand is yeah. identified with the message they're sending out. So I will invest in that brand. Who do you think, who would you say, and you don't necessarily have to name brands, but who do you think is really good at it in terms of getting that? Coca-Cola. Coke. They're the best. They're the original. Yeah. Like, you can't be the first. They, they understand and, and that's why they spend a lot of money on this stuff. They get the fact that it's a feeling. It is. Yeah. It's nothing else. It's a feeling. And they cracked that in the late 1910s. They created Santa Claus. They created there's so many things. They created what we understand. There's concepts that we feel are inherently things that exist. And Coca-Cola as a company creates those things. Mm. In terms, just the concept of mass marketing, they basically create. They, the template, they're the template. So, yeah. Yeah, they get it, and they get it, and they keep getting it. And every year, you know, I mean, I remember when they came out with the cans with the names on them. They just yes. get it. And you're like, it's such a simple thing. Why don't we think, no, because you're not Coca-Cola. That's why, you know, you're not, you haven't got a frigging army of PR companies and creatives in a room. They're like in different offices and different locations, all trying to push towards the same thing. Yeah. yeah you're not doing it. But, you know, at the same time, there are... And there are other people that are more nefarious, but yeah, there are, there are things that are happening behind the scenes on other, in other places like, I mean, it's something that I think is the future as well of things like town planning and stuff like that. Yeah. The same kind of processes are being put into running a city. Yeah. So you get a situation where instead of like a campaign of how are we going to sell coke, it's like the campaign is how are we going to sell more burgers in the city to, this year? Okay, let's have a national burger day. And it's one, it's one group of people that are actually thinking about that in mm. certain places, specifically in America. But, you know, as I said, it's more nefarious. So let's not go into that. <laughs> I was just thinking about it. I don't want, don't want to be sold too That's many burgers. It's like they're basically going to, and as more stuff goes online, those people are going to become reality walkers. Because if you have a bunch of people that are controlling, the not just the public media but mm. also the informational media and everything exists online that is reality in itself and they can create reality in, in a way that they could be like oh well maybe let's tell everybody that there was never a color red at some point and then yeah. erase the color red from the internet 
ever, forever. And then after a few hundred years, there will never have been a color red. I love that. Mm. As we get further down this rabbit hole, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And I can tell you that's already happened in history because at some point the Victorians convinced us that people in history were more sexually repressed than they really were. And do you know how they did that? They specifically went through, first of all, they were iconoclasts, they smashed penises and boobs off um, statues. They literally did that. They went around. (laughs) And then, um, because obviously in your mind, when I grew up, I genuinely thought that that's what they were like in the olden days. Yeah. And it wasn't until I studied history and I was like, wait, wait, someone did that to that? I thought that's how Greeks have, because every single image you have of a Greek statue has no Because they really went around and they were very rigorous about it. But not only that, they, you know, they changed Christianity the way it was. Yeah. Also changed laws in this country. So we were like, hang on a minute. In a way, you grew up thinking nudity was was wrong. Bad, yeah. And I'm like, People used to live in, a, and when you now start thinking about it, people used to live in houses where there was like 20 people in a house and their parents were still having kids. So at some point, everybody knew what was going on. Exactly. And it's that point where you're like, okay, hang on a minute. How come I don't understand that? And it's because, and, and what you think is that, oh, that's just a natural process. It happened over time. No, it didn't. It yeah. did not. A group of people specifically said, this is how we want the rest of the world to be from now on. And we were born after that point, so we have no idea that before that it was a wild place completely. <laughs> Let's yeah. go back. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. If I've, I don't know if we can. It's that's the difficulty now. It's the case of how do you go back, and how do you, or how do you go forward? Uh, well, no. I think I think with some of the strength of that is if you look at a lot of countries around the world, that environment of you know six, seven, eight, ten people in a room still still exists around the world, and I. I interviewed Emma Sale recently um, and she's uh, she she owns Killing Kittens and it's all about. Oh, Emma. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know anything about Killing Kittens. Tell me more. Yeah, no, she's (laughs) awesome. But and it was that whole thing about just being really open about, you know, sex. Like, for God's sake, it is just everything. Everything does it on the planet, you know, from from insects to the you know, hatch, they've got three hours to live, so they've got to find a mate, do the deed, and then they die. I mean, it's just everywhere. So why it's so taboo, um, and we grow up thinking, oh, mum and dad had sex, or, you know, I, I can't have the chat. It's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is that you have to... I mean, my, my thing I'd say is that it's... It, it's too late and, and, and I was talking about something the other day because it's not just that that is just a small amount of things that they've changed so that we're now in a situation where we can't even contemplate a reality outside the reality that we live in mm. so, and, and so unfortunately the human ego is such a powerful thing when you have people that are able to be reality with us so there are certain people that glossed over certain historical facts when they were basically writing books that then became the thing that most history was based on. Yeah. And it was because it didn't fit with their potential idea or their worldview or their hero's worldview, Mm. even though they knew. So 
there is a lot in Egyptology that goes on about this, basically, because people like Shampurion were like, oh, we saw this thing. It's like, well, that doesn't fit with what we know. Okay, just, just destroy it. Erase it. Just erase it. It didn't happen. And then, of course, then we then find it way down the line and we're like, this definitely doesn't fit with what we've been told. And then the whole, the whole sort of like establishment is like, how is that possible? Oh, it must be fake. Because, yeah. well, and then we do more investigation and then, you know, we've got science now. So they find that it's real. And then we go, wait a minute. That changes everything. And that, every, literally, we're now in a situation where every few years something comes up and is like, wait a minute. And I'm just like, I'm so bored of this now. Yeah. So let's just accept that, you know, people were people. And, and, it, and it's, I think that it's one of the hardest things for people to come to terms with is that everybody's a person. So even scientists are people. Even historians are people. And when you understand the sort of things, I know what I did when I was a five-year-old kid in terms of tricks I played on my sister or, or white lies I told. So if I can do that, definitely Anyone. can do that. And so when you then come to a point, I think there was, what, there's a gentleman who's the math, basically the gentleman that discovered a math, um, like a solution to a, a really, really famous problem. And he, right. and he solved it when he was at university. But yeah. then the people that were, I think someone published a paper of his and they published it as theirs. And then he didn't get the credit because they were like, they basically lied and said, he's a kid, how did he know that? And only just recently, it's just, I'm going to find the story and I'll email it to you. And he Please was just do. like, yeah, I solved this like years ago. And everyone was like, why didn't you say anything about it? It's like, because if I did, I'd have been like completely ousted and, you know, completely, yeah. I'd be a pariah in, in the industry. And I'm just like, but that's terrible. Like, we'd be further down the line with mass now if we'd known that. And he's like, yeah, but, you know. And it's interesting, it is. isn't it? When you talk about um, whether they're reality warpers or they, they, what information they choose to give you and what they mm -hmm. choose to just brush under the carpet. You know, you yeah. look at some of the amazing women in history that have never been given credit for whether it's solving the, the, the spaceships NASA or mathematical oh, issues. Yeah, but I don't know if they haven't been given the credit. I just feel like, I think there's two ways of looking at it. First of all, did they even, they didn't think about it as in like, so I think some people do these things. Like, if you think about people like Marie Curie, she wasn't thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to be famous and do this thing. She was doing a thing. Yeah. And in the same way, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm massively over, uh, <laughs> over, over writing Marie Curie as a person and as a, as a bastion of uh, the scientific method. But yeah. fundamentally, you know, I think there's more to it than just, and, and also we know, like, if you look at, and that's why, as I said, like, this is a great time to be, this is a great time to be alive. Yeah. Because we get to find out about all these things. My great-grandfather never got to find out about the, I don't know, the actions of certain people during the, I don't know, the Napoleonic Wars mm. and how that, you know, um, that affected the way banking is today. Or, or they, because they just didn't know. A, because they were either at a time where it was being squirreled away. Yeah. Or you don't ask. They didn't have mass information. So that's the other thing as well. Like if you didn't have a book and if someone hadn't written a book about it, you didn't know. You no. didn't know.
and that ability now to kind of really challenge and dive in and question I think is something that like you said if it wasn't written in a book you know children are seen and not heard and you don't question your elders and all of these things so yeah that, I that mean ab- children, children didn't have rights until the, until the Victorian age era yeah and so Dr Bernardo basically made parliament so that children didn't have rights at all mm. And they were treated as little people. So they should also go to it. So even concepts like the concept of childcare is something we think is a biological um, sort of prerogative, right? Yeah. Up until a certain time, people didn't bring up their children. And just, yeah. just to understand that, it's like, but that's impossible. I'm like, but my mother loves me. I mean, I have a great mother and great father. And they were, and, but realistically, you know, 600 years ago, you'd be like, yeah, well, you can drop a chimney or whatever. Can we bring that back? Like, I'm thinking that could be really yeah. useful right now for me. We could have chimneys, like what? I'm going to do a history experiment. And log burners are back in and, you know, yeah. all of that. So let's, let's, let's see if we can bring that back. Definitely not good for fossil. I mean, burning wood is definitely not sustainable. But anyway. Yeah, that's another topic. That's definitely yeah, another that's topic. That's another topic. But yeah, so you see my point. It's like, and, and that's what I find interesting about the way our worldview, especially the Western worldview, because mm. when we say our world, we're talking about the Eurocentric Western, what I would call the... Um, um, the well, I won't say Germanic, because I was thinking about this the other day, that most of the things that we think aren't German orientated end up being, so like obviously Anglo-Saxons, the Angles and the Saxons came from Germany, although they originally came from Norway and places like that. So we're just a bunch of like people following crazy Viking and German people, eventually. If you go far back enough. If you go far back, yeah. We'll go far back enough. Because it's like, oh, we're England, we're English. No, actually, most people came over from here and then and whatever. And then also in the north of England, they were pretty much all Vikings. They got invaded by the, the you know, the Vikings. So you had the Danelaw up there. So Northumbria was by the board. And in fact, only the Scots and the Welsh are actually, you know, proper Celts. And they came over from like... I was like, going to say. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when you actually think about it, like, you know, yeah, there were actually people here before that, but they killed them or whatever. So, as you do, well, we don't, they <laughs> didn't, they didn't get to write them. any books, they're not here anyway, exactly. So, <laughs> it's all good. So, yeah, I mean, it is, it is a, it is an interesting time. And I think that the only thing that caveats that is that we are so good at destroying things, oh. but not in, in like so good at making things that are destructive, but then at the same time. Those are the things that end up being the positive things. Like if we didn't have the V2 bomb, we would never have gone to space. So it's like, you know. But I think what runs through, you know, we we've we've really bounced off different corridors here. But I think yeah. what comes through a thread in all of that is the kind of that nature nurture. We are human beings and mm-hmm. with with egos, with a with a brain that is never used to full capacity. And the art of the possible is just um is mind-blowing. I mean, I can, um, we could unpack that. The concept of whether the brain and the capacity of the brain is used is wrapped in a whole load of, um, uh, well, I don't want to say conspiracies, but there are a whole load of theories that are stacked on top of things that were made public to try and 
understand things like animal behavior and so on and so forth. And yeah. the fact is, the uh, neurology as a science is so young that we don't really know. So when we say it's being used, it's actually that's the parts that show up on certain scans when we use our brain rather than actually whether it's being used. Yes. It's, yeah. It's very difficult to actually, I suppose, um, quantify how the brain works and also how much of it's being used when you're using it. So when yeah. you think about that, it's like, yes, people, you know, the whole thing really is 20% of our brain or whatever. Is that true? We don't really need we might be using all of our brain all the time. Well, that's what confused me about it when I have always heard it, because I thought I've always been led to believe, you know, one side of the brain does this, the other side does that, this section does this. So then I thought, well, if you split that 20% up, that means we're only using like these tiny... Well, I mean, <laughs> once again, though, that's there's so many misnomers there. For example, um, the parts that are being used, it, the things that are showing up are doing things, are showing up because of certain things like dyes being put in, so on and so forth. So when you actually look at the amount of the brain mass that's being used, mm. even if it's showing up on a scan, it's probably minimal. But then at the same time, what are you showing in that scan? Are you showing a 3D cross-section? Is that an MRI scan or is it, you know what I mean? There's, there's too much to go into it. And I think that, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult concept to grasp, especially when you think that even if we are using that, this is the hardest thing that I've found to grasp is that are we the projection mm. of, because you know, it's, it's the whole thing about the TV or the receiver. So your television shows you a screen, it shows you something, but the television is not generating the message. Yeah. It's coming from somewhere else. So in the same way, is your brain just receiving um, stimuli and then showing it to you, but then where, if that's the case, if the brain is reacting stimuli, what's powering the consciousness? Because that, that's, the, that's the sort of... The yeah, because I was just going to say that. Flip that then. Let's say we're actually not that intelligent. Yeah. And it isn't the brain. It is something yeah. that we're receiving and we yeah. translate in a way. Yeah. That's also possible. That is very possible. And, and that's where people think that... I. Now we're going into all kinds of <laughs> left fields. Like we need field. to do a panorama show. Yeah, there, there are. I mean, and it, once again, that's what I love. Like, I genuinely love the fact that there are things that you find out and you're just like, I have, I have never knew about that. And I, I, I've literally spent my life finding out things. That's all, yeah. I, all I do, and I love it. And, and, and I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't watch normal, when I say normal TV. I spend my life watching documentaries. That's I love documentaries. Yeah. And reading books and a lot of those kind of things. And and even at like three o'clock in the morning, I'm still listening to oh this ancient theory about something. And I just pick up the fun, the most amazing things. And then you then you dive into it. You go and then find yeah. studies and so on. And you're like, wow, we literally don't know anything. Like, I mean, and also a lot of things are by done by we find out things by luck and we really mm. underestimate how and as a you know as a public body we underestimate how much dumb luck has got us to this point completely I, I massively believe that if I even just reflect on my short time on this planet the amount of elements of luck or perfect timing or whatever you want to call it I, I do just think that that was meant to be so um yeah I, I mean yeah there's 
so many things you can think about. And, and, and the other <laughs> is, once you now think about quantum entanglement, right? So the idea about quantum entanglement is that every atom somewhere has a quantumly entangled atom somewhere else that it is affecting by existing or not existing. So is it is it luck or is it design of the universe that made this specific instance happen right now? Yeah. Like, you know, that's, there's, and there's no way of knowing unless we find out more and we get neurons in our brains. Exactly. Unless we find out more. And I guess, look, I think that wraps it up nicely, I guess. I think yeah. throughout all of this, it is about that, you know, the what if, the art of the possible, all about how we as people respond, communicate, and, and how we translate that into be it a business or a brand, a service or a product. Um, listen, I have... <laughs> I'm definitely going to get you back on if you're up for That's it. That's fine. I, I really I love this the best conversation. Way you can use me is if you have a specific topic and we can linearly attack. Right. I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to have a think about that. It gets wider and wider and wider, and then we're suddenly talking about antique tech or something. That's no, definitely. Well, listen, um, Jay. I just want to say a massive thank you, um, listeners. I hope you've really enjoyed it, and and I, I look forward to looking up with you at home. Great. No soon. problem whatsoever. Thank you. Right. Very much. Take care, Jay. All right, bye. Bye. So that's it. You've made it. The show's over. Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem, or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the Rona Morale podcast. Have an awesome day, and see you next time.